0: might get your groove on. (laughs) Whoa, it's a double mug zoom.
1: We just blew the budget for special effects for this year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, good morning, gentlemen.
1: Good morning, Brent. How's things?
0: things are good in the hood. We have rain in Arizona. Hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a song about that, isn't there? Oh no, it's that other state. Never mind.
0: <laughs> but it's still summertime here.
2: Yeah, you're a jerk. <laughs> isn't it isn't it always summertime there?
0: Yeah, we don't really do winter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> have a couple of days that gets below what? Maybe 60, 50? <laughs>
0: In the the daytime. Yeah. We we try to avoid winter as best we can.
2: Not a bad philosophy.
0: But I'll get to enjoy some winter up in Ottawa this week.
1: You will indeed. And and not as bad as last year's winter when you were here, but uh, some weather indeed. The the thing to keep in mind is that here in Canada, it's always summer on the inside.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I just can't top that.
1: Yeah, Peter says, don't believe him. Yeah, some of us are. are anyway, well, my heart grew three times that thought. Time. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, oh, man. Anyway. Hey,
0: everybody. How's the chat room going? Looks like we got a full house. Lots of people yeah. jumping in.
1: Very cool. Um, gang, we've, uh, we've got Mike Taylor back with us here today. Mike's been with us uh, for a conversation in the past as well. Um, but if you didn't catch up with Mike that time, let's get Mike to introduce himself and give us a little sense of who he is, what he does, where he's coming from, all that cool stuff.
2: Yeah, I uh, am Mike Taylor. I'm a learning consultant. I work for a consulting company called Change for Growth, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio, so I definitely get winter. We've had snow already as well. i uh, been doing learning stuff for... Oh, gosh, way longer than I care to admit, over 20 years. So I've had a pretty fortunate to have a pretty broad background experience-wise. I've worked in big Fortune 100 companies. I've worked at startups, been on larger teams, been a department training department of one. So I've kind of hit the, hit the full spectrum of uh, the range of, of work to, to do in the field. So I've been pretty, pretty fortunate in that regard.
1: Very cool. Um, And uh, we have this really cool title here today, speaking to the lizard brain, um, which, you know, I've had various things, I I was thinking, Oh, we should bring puppets in or something. I don't know, it just felt so it's so strongly, you know, kind of visual in that way or something. But anyway, um, but it relates to some stuff that you you've done a fair number of sessions and and things around uh, over the last while, etc. Maybe just give us um, an insight into exactly what exactly is the lizard brain?
2: Well, so it's to me, it's pretty fascinating um, topic, and it's really relevant to what we do. I, I kind of talk about it in the context of of contrasting the difference between marketers and and L and D professionals, and it's sort of a, a, how our brains work. So we've got two parts of our of our brains. Uh, there's been several good books about it. Daniel Kahneman wrote thinking fast, thinking slow. Those are the same kind of concepts that he talks about in his book. And there's a couple other really good ones. And and basically, we've got this conscious mind that we're thinking sort of effortful. We're thinking we're solving a math problem, that sort of stuff. And we have the subconscious part of our mind, which is the things that we've evolved with evolutionarily, you know, over tens of thousands or millions of years, you know, since we sort of emerged from the swamps or wherever we came from. And A lot of times, I think people's natural intuitions, when you start to do training or marketing or persuasion of of any type, is the natural – your intuition says, well, I'm going to give you a lot of facts and figures, and people are logical creatures, and they're going to – it's going to be obvious what they should do, when in fact, that's really not the way it works, and our subconscious mind is is much more dominant, and as humans – There are things that we're processing subconsciously. Oftentimes, we're not even aware that we're processing them. It happens so fast. And typically, the way it works, we're making subconscious decisions around our behavior. And then after the fact, we're going to come back in and fill in the logic like, oh, yeah, that was very logical. But in fact, that's not really the way that it typically happens.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're easily... um Self-deluded, aren't we? Um, about <laughs> about who's really in control when we're when we're doing all kinds of things.
2: And there's and there's there's a, there's a lot of fascinating research that's done around this. You know, things like the anchoring principle. Uh, if you're going in to talk to your boss about a raise next year, well, you should say some big gigantic number because that number sets an anchor, and then the offer for your raise is going to be a higher number. There's a lot of, you know, sort of psychology-related things like that, that I think all of us could probably tap into if, if we're aware of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you would think that that would never, no, I would never be influenced by some random number, but there's been studies that show and, and prove that it's a, it's a real, uh, a real effect.
1: Hmm. Um, so, it, you were, I mean, you were describing, you know, when you, when we're doing market or not, uh, when we're doing training stuff, we tend to think of, uh, you know, giving people information, like they can make decisions, etc. But so what are some of the ways, though, that the lizard brain affects that kind of process of, of learning?
2: Well, I think that the biggest thing is, is the initial attention. You know, what what's going to get my attention? I think one thing that marketers are really good at is they understand that people are bombarded with thousands of messages every day from every which direction. Um, and I don't always think that that learning and development and training people sort of appreciate what they're competing against, you know, just because your course is in the LMS doesn't mean it's going to get somebody's attention. And, you know, I've, I, I've seen a lot of poor examples where it opens with super boring stuff and they'll give you a mission statement and they'll give you, you know, 22 learning objectives and that, you know, I'm falling asleep before I even get started. Whereas, you know, you've never seen a billboard with bullet points driving down the highway because you can't. You're past it before you can read it. And so I think the biggest difference is just making things engaging and and grab somebody's attention. It just has to be different than the thousands of other messages they get. Mm-hmm. So I think, that's the, I think that's the biggest thing. Obviously, you've got to have something behind it because if you get their attention and then there's just, you know, nothing of value behind it, then you're sort of wasting that. But, you know, if you don't get attention, the best thing in the world is not going to be of any value because they're never going to see it because you haven't gotten their attention initially.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of the things that, that, that we can do then to, to get that attention?
2: Well, I think just do something to stand out. So let's take a compliance course, for example. There's an example that, that I use. It was around information security, right? Like you, you can probably already start to feel yourself falling asleep just mentioning the topic, right? We've all been through those sort of things, but you can do things, such as, well, change the perspective, right? So instead of say, don't throw your trash away because they can get your information, build the course from the perspective of the person trying to do the stealing. So teach them how to steal somebody's identity. Like they don't expect that. You know, I've got an example that I use in in one of my sessions. It's got this really, uh, it's my favorite character ever in a, a course that I've built It's Shady Grady. And this, you know, sketchy looking guy with a gold chain, really kind of greasy or whatever. And it's just, you don't expect that in a corporate compliance course. So, okay, now I'm hopefully piqued somebody's interest. Okay, well, this is different. What is this? Right. And then if you can do something to pull them in and then you have good stuff behind it, it's going to be infinitely more effective than, you know, they hit play and go to lunch and they never see it.
0: And read a bunch of lines of text and bullet points.
2: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and then the other the other piece that that goes with, you know, any kind of good learning, right, as you're trying to get people to to apply things. So, you know, if you can make them, make the interaction happen in their brain instead of the next button clicker finger, obviously, you know, if you can prevent them and sort of get them emotionally engaged, you know, there's a lot of research behind that 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 emotions are important to tap into for memory and learning and all that sort of stuff as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think one of my favorite um, and I've been stalling here trying to remember the guy's name, and I've even been Googling the guy that does. I always forget names. What's up with me? Uh, the book Brain Rules
2: John Medina.
0: John Medina, yeah, why do yeah. I forget his yeah. name? I've booked him twice at conferences, and I just always forget, but anyways, I've always loved his comment on the um how the brain works as, and the lizard part of the brain as we don't look at uninteresting things. Like the brain only pays attention to interesting new things. Like you have your environment around you all the time. Your, your brain knows everything that you're currently looking at because it's used to it. It's there's this reality that just exists. It's not, it doesn't care about anything currently in your environment, but if a big giant spider dropped down from the ceiling, that's when everything kind of pops and something happens in your brain that sort of forces you to react and to do something. And as his his best phrase is when that happens, your brain first, it only thinks three things. Can I eat it? Will it eat me? Can I mate with it?
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. You're hard, you're hardwired for that stuff and you couldn't, not see that if you tried yeah yeah
0: and so that's what i was thinking when i I remember the first time i watched his videos and read his book um it uh i started you know obviously thinking about how do we apply this to learning and whatnot and i and ever since then i've actually been applying it to most things that i do in that every once in a while you've got to sort of put something shocking and different into it just to kind of shake people back into focus and and it can be different it totally depends on the project i'm working on but it's like what could i do here that's going to not seem normal and that's going to force them to all of a sudden go whoa whoa, wait a minute that's something new i've never you know it's not right
2: yeah he uh i think he i think he says in there like if you were trying to build the absolute worst environment to learn in, it would look a lot like cubicles and and schools, right? Like no one, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder anybody learns anything in those environments, just the way that, way that they're set up, which is, which is yes, interesting thing, the yeah.
0: art of the worst learning environment.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: now that we know what not to do, we should be really targeted at what we should be doing.
2: And then there's a, there's another really good, book that is by a writer and I'm drawing a blank on his name. I'll think of it here in a minute, but it's, um, it, it, I love the title here. The title is nobody wants to read our shit and, and it's, and it's really true. I I think, you know, he kind of makes, makes two points that everything you do, you have to streamline everything you do and make it, you know, unpack it, make it as clear and simple as possible. And then you have to do that and you have to tap into emotions. And then just do those two things with everything that you do, no matter what it is, and you're going to have a lot better success. And then I would add a third to that: that if you if you use visuals effectively, that's going to help both those first two things. Yeah, somebody there, Cassie's got the link in the, uh, okay, in the chat there. And it's a really short, quick book, but it just it just so resonates. And that and that doesn't have to be learning. That could be sending an email or writing or anything, right? So that should, that should I think, be applied to everything that we do in, in all the different things that we do.
1: Yeah, um, you mentioned you mentioned visuals. I mean, we've talked about, uh, you know, say uh, something things we can do like an introduction of something like a course, et cetera. But uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that visual aspect and some of the things that we can do to bring that lizard brain and engage it so that we can then support learning better.
2: Yeah, we as as we were sort of talking before we, we started here, sort of getting back to the lizard brain, and a, a large part of the way that works is as humans, we have this set of it's like having pre-programmed uh, functions embedded into our brain, and most of those we have by the time we're about six years old. So it reminds me of that book, um, dating myself here, but everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. I think there's probably a lot of validity validity to that, and so I ask people you know, how would you design things differently if you're designing for a six-year-old? And I always get um, color, clear and simple, uh, easy to understand, all this sort of stuff. You know, and then the next question is, well, okay, well, what about that do you as an adult not enjoy and find, you know, interesting and ineffective? So I think there's things like that if we can use color uh, obviously, less text. We've probably beat that drum to um, as much as we can beat it, but still, it still happens. So, <laughs> things like that. There's other psychological things that we're, we're, we're hardwired, as Brent was talking about, we're hardwired to see things like faces. So, that's why people are always seeing, you know, Jesus and toast and all this sort <laughs> of somebody, Elvis's face in a pizza or, you know, whatever it is. And it's because we're wired to, to, find that stuff and so we see it everywhere you know and marketers know this sort of stuff and marketers will actually use that in advertising they'll put a face think about a magazine print ad and there'll be a face looking at the product well if you do a you know a visual heat map everybody's drawn to the face and the next thing they're drawn to is where is that face looking right yeah. so you can use those things to sort of guide attention if you know about them
1: yeah we had um uh, well, i used to work in, in in journalism and when it came to t- you know, adding a picture to a story, you always made sure that there was a person in the picture because first of all, pauses people uh, to stop and look at it uh, first off and, and connect to it. Um, and then also the, you know, the ability of, to use that, the gaze then to direct attention. If, um, you know, if your page in the newspaper, um, you were looking at say the right side page, so there's you know, nothing over here, you would prefer to not have the eyes actually leaving the page because there was a suggestion then that you were not directing, using the, the you know, the framing of the picture to actually bring people back towards the content too. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, so, and, and, and then, you know, talking about people and, you know, journalism too, you know, stories, we're, wi- we're wired for stories, right? Like there's a lot of data and, and science behind, if I throw somebody a bunch of facts and figures versus I tell that as a story, you know, what do the facts and figures mean? You know, that's that's what all good marketing is as a story, right? You know, there's there's you, you're not going to find Ford or one of the car manufacturers pulling up all their crash test data because nobody cares because it's boring. But they'll tell you a story about somebody surviving this really bad crash and show you the visuals and it's no contest which one you're going to remember. Mm-hmm. Let's. Um, we've
1: got a couple of questions that uh, uh that have been thrown into the question. Um, both of them are from Wendy. Uh, Wendy was asking, Can she get the poster? It's behind Brent, and Brent's gonna send that. And if you're interested in that poster, let us know. Uh, we do have files for that, but that's how we got it to Brent. <laughs> uh, when was also asking, Uh, what does the lizard brain look for look like for someone with ADD, ADHD? Um, and I don't know that we have, um, I, I I don't know if you're able to speak to that or or not, Mike. If this, if you know of anything,
2: yeah, no, I I I can't speak authoritatively, but I can kind of just sort of circle back of a couple of things that that Brent mentioned when he was talking about um, John Medina and the three things that that people look for, right? Like, will it eat me? Can I eat it? Can I mate with it? Right? Like, those are the big three things. Um, if you can work that into your learning program, you're going to get attention. If if you also can lurk that work that in, let me know because I want to know how you did it because it's not super easy, especially if you're in a corporate place to work in, you know, can I mate with it and stuff like that. But I think, you know, there's a, you know, you can equate that to sort of the what's in it for me, like why do I care sort of things. Like, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of training and learning things that's, you know, it comes to me and like, okay, well, I look at it. Or if I even look at it, if it gets my attention, I'm like, okay, well, I don't care. Why do I care? And I just, you know, it goes into the to the trash can. So I think keeping those sort of your audience focused, right? Like why do they care? You know, if you've got different audiences, don't speak to the same – don't speak in the same way to multiple different audiences who have different perspectives and different takes on what you're talking to them. And, you know, that's another thing that marketers are great at. They're personalizing messages, Right. And you know you you get a different message on the New York Times website than you would on LinkedIn or some other because they're different audiences and, and marketers are are uh, a lot better at, you know, a identifying that and then personalizing based on on what they find.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And even in that example, it might actually be that you could see
1: an ad for a similar thing on the New York Times site plus, um, you know, a social media channel. It's not that the audiences are different, but the contexts are also, you know, different. The why of what you're doing in those contexts um, is, is something, I guess, to keep in mind as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's another thing too, right? Like sort of, if you sort of think in terms of campaigns or in a learning context, that sort of equates to sort of space learning and, and learning over time, right? Marketers know that just because they show you a commercial doesn't mean you're going to buy their stuff. They've got to show it to you, you know, on the billboard, and they're going to show you a web ad, and they're going to show you a TV commercial, and it's this sort of coordinated, spaced out over time in different channels. You know, and I think I think we should be looking for ways to do that uh, the the way that marketers do that. Hmm.
0: I think another piece of this conversation too revolves around um utilizing this idea not just from a learning perspective but from the perspective of getting people interested in taking our learning content right i hear a lot of people talking about that and there's a lot of conversations around i've got this and of course there's there's a lot of reasons for it right but i'll just give the typical thing it's hey i've got an lms with filled with content and I don't know how to get people to take it or to see it. Okay. Yes. It's a loaded question. There's a lot of things that are triggering people in the chat right now, but (laughs) what they want to know is how can we market this better? And I think people forget that you do have to tell people and you do have to use the skills that marketing has, has crafted and mastered over the decades to make, uh, to raise awareness within your company, within your, your, you know, your group of people that you're responsible for. And so how can we do that
2: part of it? Well, I think that's a really good point and I'm and I'm glad it, it came up. I think um, we have to, ultimately we have to help people and there has to be some value in the things that we're putting out. And if you think of Apple, or this was a cool thing when I worked at Articulate, this was a cool thing that, that they did as well, kind of similar to Apple. Um, if you see Simon Sinek's, um, you know, the, his, his talk about Microsoft versus Apple, you know, Microsoft does your approach. Hey, we've got the LMS, we've got all this great stuff in it, you know, come and take our courses. The Apple approach is, hey, we can help you do your job better. We can help you be a rock star oh, by the way, we, we have some courses in an LMS and it's just a total, you know, 180 approach when you compare and contrast those things. So if you can help people and put that front and center, well, if you can help me solve a problem, I'm in. But if you just have a boatload of a course in LMS, I, I don't really don't care. Right. And so how you, you're not selling the courses, you're selling what the courses can do. And there's, there's a,
0: I and know some some statistics in marketing totally agree with you on that.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and marketers, right? Like good marketers. And I think this is why articulate so successful in Apple and other companies like that is, hey, we'll help you. We don't really care if you buy our software or not. We'll just help you because, you know, you do this sort of job and and we, we're going to help you. But the ironic thing is by not selling, quote, selling, they're selling more things because what happens you know, 80 or 90 percent of people buy from the first place that helps them. And so, you know, the experience is very different than being sold to.
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. what we really kind of thought of what we do as um, we do create products. And I think if we think of ourselves as, and I don't mean like software products or, well, you could think of it as a software product, I guess. But when you're creating a training course or a training piece of content of some sort, you're creating product and you kind of have to all of a sudden put on the hat of product manager and figure out how to get people to know that it exists and all that kind of stuff and understanding how the lizard brain works to do that is super helpful
2: absolutely and then the other piece, there's another piece to that too speaking of product manager two things is you know we we have a brand whether it's our individual brand or our department our team brand and um You know, when you put out good stuff and people find it helpful, like that's sort of a self-fulfilling thing. That's your brand that's going to help you in the future. And then the other piece kind of to the product manager side is, you know, marketers understand they don't market the same way to somebody who's been a customer for 20 years as they would to somebody who's never used their product. So if you think about that in a learning context, you know, you may have a subject matter expert who knows everything ins and outs. Other end of the spectrum, you've got somebody who's just new. Right. So we wouldn't market to those people the same way and we shouldn't, you know, train or teach to those people the same way because they need different things.
0: You don't ever <laughs> run into this, Chris, do you? Well, I was just
1: actually thinking about uh, the the comment that Kara's put in, you know, uh, she was referring to treating someone like a consumer or slash Marketing and her own observation. I feel, I know, I feel that some companies care about me and my business, which keeps me coming back. Um, And and it's, um, it's not just the. I mean, we're not trying to take someone or you know. Sorry, the uh, what we're doing isn't so much of an exchange of things, money for product, the way that marketing usually is. But there's still a lot of value in leveraging that that relationship of uh, you know of trust, uh, you know, helpfulness, you know, value all of those things so that people have that, that sense that taking their time to actually consume something um, is actually going to re, you know give them a, a valuable return, um, you know, in, in exchange for their time in that way.
2: Yeah. And that, and that time, that time and attention, like that's our currency. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. give you money. <clears throat> I'll give you my time and attention or not based on, you know, how, how that uh, interaction goes.
1: Yeah. I, I, I mean, our goal in the the L and D world is to help either, you know, people do something better or, or change habits, um, increase, you know, value for an organization. If that's, you know, where your focus is, those sorts of things. Um, and, uh, it may not always be obvious to people that they, that, you know, that that there's actually help out there that they can actually, you know, find stuff to to actually improve things themselves directly.
2: And and that's a really good, good point too. So if, if, everything I'm doing is in, is locked inside a course, which is locked inside an LMS. Mm -hmm. And I just need the answer to this one small piece, right? Like put that where it's available, put it where it's searchable, findable. And I think even more importantly, you know, when good marketing campaigns go viral, it's not because of the campaign itself. It's because the, the people, the consumers are sharing it with each other, right? So how can we make the knowledge and the, and the, stuff that we have in our courses easily shareable, right? Like it's got to be a click and send kind of thing or it doesn't happen because it takes so little amount of friction and it just doesn't happen. People quit. And I'm guilty of that too. That's just human nature. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, how can you take those gold nuggets out of your compliance course or whatever it is and put them somewhere that it's accessible and shareable, which, you know, if you, if you make your content, open, shareable, all that sort of stuff. Now it's going to start moving around. You're going to be able to facilitate conversations. And it's this really cool sort of circle where based on the conversations, I can update and improve my content, which then I can share. And I've got this really nice sort of life cycle of content. And it's not just all this dated you know, e-learning that's not been updated in 10 years or whatever the case may be. So I think that's a really Mm -hmm. important thing too.
1: Yeah. Helping people solve that problem when they've got the problem as opposed to, you know, the brain dumping of everything that they might ever need to solve potentially any problem that they might ever encounter.
2: Right. And and we've got so much content. You know, I think one of the easy wins for uh, a lot of places is just reuse what you already have in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, a great example for compliance courses is, you know, you've got all the content and graphics and video, whatever in your, once a year compliance course, break it out and make, you know, make an email campaign that's, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever that case, and then drip it out over the year. And it's a minimal amount of work, you know, just support and enhance what you're already doing to make it better. And so, you know, I think a lot of people don't really, the the default seems to be a lot of times, I've got to build new stuff. Well, not necessarily always take what you've got and repurpose it in different ways and different channels.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's not always, and you know, when you, when you're building a course, I mean, all those things that you mentioned, uh, all of a sudden triggers for me, um, the Bob Mosier and the, the five moments of need, right? Absolutely. That, that's a very lizard brain sort of concept if you think about it. And I hadn't really put the two together until you, you kind of stated it like that, you know, it's very much, you know, something breaks. I don't know why I need to learn and figure it out and fix it. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that people react to that, but that's a total lizard brain thing.
2: Well, and I think, I think kind of to tag on to that point, um, that strikes me as a sort of a lizard brain thing is like when you have a problem, I think the first person or the first thing you look for is a person, right? Like I'm not looking for a book or saying like if there's a person I'm going to ask the person. Yeah. And I think that's we a natural all that thing. We
0: dogging" at Intel in the in the cubicle farms, right? When you see people's heads popping up all over the <laughs> to, to ask the person in the cubicle next door, right? That was always step one. I'm going to ask the person right there.
2: Yeah. Right, and I think that's 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 kind of talking about you know making your content available and facilitating conversations. You know that process helps people find you know, the other person eight states away who does something similar, right? Like, so it doesn't always have to be the L and D people telling you what's right. You can get just as much, if not more value from finding that guy who's doing the similar job in another state and you guys can help each other, right? Like it's connecting people with people. It's not always just content generation (laughs) stuff.
0: Yeah. It's like find a person, Google, then YouTube. And sometimes yeah. YouTube pops up in the Google search and that's what you want. So that, that seems to be the pattern. And then way down at the bottom of the list, it's check the LMS.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not, I think a lot of people maybe don't get that far. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And normally the answer comes way before you get down to that, that far on the list.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, you know, most of the time I find myself in an LMS it's I've already I'm in an emotional state, which is not the emotions that we're wanting to, to inspire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not happy about having to be there. So, you know, I'm we're sort of fighting an uphill battle before we even start, which, which makes it all that much more important, right? So if I can, if, if I'm ticked off cause I got to do the compliance course, you know, at least make it personable and fun and different and you know, not uh, not painful. <laughs> yeah, as Stephanie's just pointed out in the chat.
1: I'm only in the LMS when I get an email saying I have to be.
2: And the due date is, you know, today. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah,
0: yeah that's trouble. I wonder um... Oh no, I just lost my thought. Quick
2: so Ah. <laughs> uh, it, well, you a know, I different. think I think that like the true test would be Right? Like, so if we're, if we're trying to not be the compliance police, right, is, you know, what are the things that people would, would watch or would take and consume without being required, right? Like those, if you have any of those in your organization, like, look at those, see what they're doing and, and emulate, emulate those things, right? Like go in and I don't know how many people actually go in and look at that type of data. But uh, my guess is, you know, probably less than the majority. And the things that people will voluntarily go to without being required, you know, that's probably a good place to look. I'm always on the lookout for, you know, how can I beg, borrow, and steal ideas from other places? And you know, you may have that sort of stuff just sitting on your LMS you don't even know about if you don't look for it.
0: Mm. Uh, yes. Stephanie's got an interesting question there. What about those employees who are hourly and need to get paid when taking training? Wow. That's a whole nother HR thing, right?
2: Well, so it's, it's, I think there's a lot of, there's a big discussion, I think, obviously. And again, I think it's, you know, what is the training? Obviously there's onboarding and getting up to speed, which is, which is one thing, but getting back to your five moments of need, if I'm, in a call center and on a call and I need an answer. Well, you got to make that available and it's part of their job. So to me, I think learning is part of your job and it's not a separate thing. It should be
0: like, we should be making stuff so good that when people get, even if they're hourly, they're, they're like, they want to learn and consume new content. Right?
2: Right. And I think if we, if, if we start to sort of change our approach and do it really well, It's not, okay, now I'm working, stop, now I'm learning, stop. It's not this discrete blocks, but it's all intertwined, and it's, okay, I'm on the phone call, I need this information, I'll pop over there and learn what it is in the flow of the work, right, like that's kind of the hot term or whatever, but it's just all together one thing, and, you know, the times of traveling to a new city and going to a classroom and stuff, I think those... While there are times when it's appropriate, I think there's so many more options that it's it's becoming less and less necessary. And even when it is necessary, there's a whole lot of things you should do outside of that because that time's super expensive and valuable. You shouldn't be wasting it doing things that you could do in other places. Thinking
1: about the the moment of need, um, I, I wonder if there's times when we need to help people deactivate the lizard brain. Um, in other words, you've got con, you've got a, you know something is wrong something is crisis um and then you know but but if you're you know is there you know are there tools maybe that you can and i'm just this is just like blah but but bringing people into a uh, or providing content in a way that helps you know lower the lizard brain so that you know that kind of brain activity can then be you know directed better to solving the problem you know in a more effective way yeah i think
2: that's i think that's a great question i mean obviously people react in different ways it's it's almost like you know is that a teachable thing to react calmly in the face of adversity? And, you know, <clears throat> I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. I would certainly well, apply it.
1: <laughs> well, one, one, one thought I just had was make it as easy, obviously, as possible so that people can have the problem solved. In other words, don't put four barriers in their way so that they're moderate curse, 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 getting more frustrated even by the process of accessing the information that, that would help them. Uh, you know, the, what is the performance support sort of mantra of two clicks or less or three yeah, clicks absolutely. or less? You know, Absolutely. so so I guess that is one aspect of making sure that you you know aren't overriding the lizard or, or pushing the lizard brain you know even that much further than in those kinds
2: of moments. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a I think that's a great point. But I think you know even even design wise, like you if you're conscious of these things, and you're conscious of sort of how your brain is is handling some of these things, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know, you can design things that are calmer and you know easier to absorb I, I if you've seen a really bad slide with crazy stuff all over it right like that's kind of you know a real simplistic version of it but it's this kind of similar dynamic i think and you know like you said don't design things that sort of cause that mental stress yeah, did you, did
0: you really pop oh sorry go ahead chris
2: i guess that also comes back to
1: understanding the context again you might in a, a in a formal learning process you might want to evoke a certain you know up, uh or, or boost up an emotional level so that people are um you know brought more and drawn more into the content but then in the separate context of when they're actually
2: in a perhaps a crisis or a problem thinking about the context then um yeah and then, then there's right. a really good point that in the in the comments there about pilots right like if that's the realistic scenario, then mm-hmm. you wanna have experience with that. But again, the experience, while well, you want it to be realistic, you want it to be, you don't want to overload them, right? Because the, the plane's gonna crash if I've got a 28 clicks to get to the procedure to land with no wheels, right? Like we've already crashed, it's too late. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, um, that's a good point.
0: It, it's. It makes me think about, um, you know, when we're when we're talking about stuff like this, and um, and the pilots and things like, you know, it. It sounds to me like a lot of this stuff, the soft skills kinds of things, it's not as black and white. Like you can't just build a course to and have someone go through, or even like a weekend workshop or something, a two day thing, and then all of a sudden have them be. Sorry, all of a sudden be mindful and you know, all of a sudden change like how they react to certain things. It's more of it's not a course, it's a practice. And so, you know, when we're talking about things like that, it's how do we how do we deliver information or training to let people know that they need to practice this and that needs to be a consistent needs to be a discipline and that over time you can train yourself to not overreact and let the lizard brain take over but it takes time and it takes effort and it takes repetition you know all these things that we know work but then you think about it in a business perspective to support initiatives like that is complex it takes resources it takes money you know on and on and on and on which is why i think a lot of Of companies don't address it. You know, the military does, right? Pilots take a gajillion hours of training exactly for this reason to be calm under pressure and all of that. But those are high stakes. The average company trying to teach somebody how to not overreact when, I don't know, the printer goes down,
2: angry Uh, customers calling in or something. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, it's maybe there's just not enough value tied to that behavior. Maybe it's easier for them to hire that behavior than it is to uh, try to train it into someone that doesn't have it naturally.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, there's the other, the other thing too is a lot of that stuff, like it just takes practice, right? You can't read a book and get that. You've got to practice and you've got to experience it. And, you know, you just have to work your way to that automaticity where you just don't think about it anymore and it's embedded, but but that's obviously takes time and, and money and effort and, and thoughtfulness. I think you know we should recognize those things and take the appropriate path where some things can be looked up, some things can't, right? And sort of just understanding, you know, where that line is and, and handle those things the right way based on what you need and what the situation dictates. Mm-hmm. Indeed. very cool
1: um that's probably yeah we're we're hitting we're hitting our rough mark it's probably a good place for us to take a pause and uh and uh, think about uh think about all the things what what um mike before we forget throw throw your info in uh, in case people need to reach yeah. out to you that kind of yeah. stuff we always Absolutely. end up at the end and go oh yeah right where the heck
2: is our, uh, mike so i need my uh, glasses here so i can see <laughs> <laughs> my old age is Striking again.
0: Uh, Don't say it.
1: I'll put mine on so I can read.
0: I have to take mine off so I can read. (laughs) Bad eyes. Oh, by the way, in case anybody was wondering, uh, that was a uh, flash flood warning in uh, Arizona.
2: (laughs) We were just talking about that.
0: When it rains in Arizona, everything mm. floods and just wreaks havoc everywhere. And, but good times. But you're gonna, gonna be- have
2: some sort of price to get the weather right. Like there's a, tra- right. there's always a trade-off. That's your, <laughs> yeah. that's your trade-off. <laughs> Yeah, we have Nothing. snow, but we don't have to worry about floods. Nothing's free.
1: There's there's a cost to everything.
0: <laughs> That's right. Well, but, you know, most people make the best of it uh, when the golf courses and the uh, the 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 waterways, if you will, over flood. People break out the inner tubes and ride the waves uh, because they're much bigger than normal. So there's, uh, you know. It's it's our version of sledding when there's a snow day, <laughs> <laughs> riding the floodwaters. <laughs> yeah. Very
1: cool, um, it, fascinating chat again today. Thanks, Mike, for joining us. Um, and no, great thanks. chat, great chat in the uh, in the comments. I'm going to just say, um, maybe J Rock, we need to put up together a little um, appropriateness training for you. <laughs> 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 anyway, <laughs> no, anyway. Good, clean, fun, as they say. <laughs> awesome, gang! Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Have a great time, guys. Take care, guys.
0: Indeed, you guys, Mike. Thanks for hanging out with us.
2: See ya. Thanks for having me.